You're listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. Awaken Church is a diverse community of authentic love and hope, where you can belong as you change and change as you follow Jesus. This morning I'm going to read from uh, Isaiah 53. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, or it'll just come up on the screen if you want to just look up there as well. Isaiah is in the uh, what we call Old Testament of our Bible. He's one of the prophets who spoke forth the Word of God to the people. And in this particular passage, he's speaking of the coming of one who would be called Messiah. It's Isaiah 53, beginning verse 4. He writes, Yet it was for our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. May the Lord uh, bless us with understanding as we look deeper in the scripture this morning. You guys can be seated. Thinking this morning about this passage and just kind of the theme we've been kind of tracking through in the day, we're kind of talking about evil and suffering in the world. And um, uh, look, it's like every week you can look at the news and kind of get get like, oh wow, there's something else has happened this week. And this this week there's actually some 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 top stories that happened. One was um, I'm I'm on Twitter and I follow a lot of people on Twitter and I've been on Twitter for a long time. And they'll get this this message on Twitter when somebody that you follow that hasn't tweeted for quite a while does, and the message will be, Quentin just tweeted for the first time in a long time. Go go see what he's go see what's up, and uh, so on this particular day, I got a bunch of those messages like coming like this, this, this person hasn't been on Twitter now they posted, and I go and everybody's on Twitter complaining because Facebook and Instagram were down, and I'm like what? So there's this this idea of like this is like suffering for some people. They're like literally they were suffering because Instagram was down and Facebook was down. But then you look at some other news, like I would call real news, and um, there's this thing that happened, it's kind of still still in the, in the air, called the bomb cyclone. You guys ever see the bomb cyclone on the, on, the, on the weather? Basically, the whole middle of our country, 700 million people or so, were hit by this big blizzard this week called a bomb cyclone and it's like ridiculous the the, the wind speeds and the snow that that fell and um, caused a lot of problems now I hate snow though that, that I would really be suffering if it snowed a little bit but here's people who literally had like it's dangerous to go outside and if your power goes out oh well because the power company can't even go out right now it's like being in the middle of a hurricane only it's snow that's crazy then there was a story about this 11 year old girl named Nancy Edens 
11-year-old Nancy Eddins were inviting her friends at school to her birthday party. This made the news. And her friends ripped up the invitations in her face. Bullying. Suffering. Now her mom found uh, some people who thought that was worth giving her a nice birthday party and they threw her a big shindig and uh, and and so she actually had a good birthday but she was bullied like I can't even imagine being 11 years old and inviting my classmates and my friends to birthday and they just laugh and rip it up in your face can't imagine what she must feel like and then we get the news early in the morning a couple days ago 49 people, now 50 as of today, have died, have lost their lives in a, a city called Christ Church, New Zealand, because of a hate crime. This, this, this guy went into these two Muslim mosques when it was time for worship and just started opening up fire. At least one guy, there's probably more. And it's just, it's, it just blows our minds when we hear about these things and like, well, that can never happen, yet it happens almost on a weekly basis, right? Suffering. So the question is, if God is all good, And if God is all-powerful, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? Think about it for a few minutes. We're going to give you a chance to, if you have an opinion or a thought, share it in just a second. Um, But there's a lot of big questions about God and about faith. A lot of big questions. That's like the whole idea behind this little series we're doing. Like, what what about? That's the name of our series. What about science? We, we did that the last couple of weeks. What about science? What about creation and Big Bang Theory and evolution? And what about those questions? So we've gone there. We, we, we went down those paths. What about, what about hypocrisy in the church? What about all the hypocrites? What about exclusivity? Is Jesus really the only way? And what about evil and suffering? And that's where we're going to go deeper today. If God is all-powerful and if God is all-good, why is there evil and suffering in the world? It's okay to have questions. Questions are how we grow. This is how, how faith grows, how we grow as people, as human beings. We grow when we have questions and we seek answers. And we need to remember in the midst of this, everybody's got a belief system. Everyone in here has got a belief system. It's probably everybody's belief system, even if we were all to say, well, my belief system is Christian, probably we all have a slight variations of that as well. But everyone, even if you're atheist or agnostic, you have a belief system. Even if you have a, like, I just kind of make up my own thing as I go, that's, you have a belief system. So everyone has a belief system. What we want to be is people who go where the evidence leads, not where we think it leads or where we hope it will lead. We want to actually go where the evidence leads. And that's where we've been tracking the last couple of weeks with science and, and, and morality and, and, and design and, and the cosmos and all those questions that we've been looking at. And we want to do that again today as we go deeper deeper into Isaiah 53. And we'll come back around to this passage in just a minute. And this, by the way, Isaiah 53 is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Um, if you're familiar with the Bible, what we call the New Testament is the story of Jesus and, and the early church, the followers of Jesus. This is like an, a foreshadowing, like the, what's going to happen when Jesus comes. So here's our big idea. The God who embraced suffering longs to embrace you. The God who embraced suffering longs to embrace you. So a couple of thoughts about that big idea that I want to camp out in. First one is, is pain is personal. Pain is very personal. I had a conversation just like a two weeks ago with a, with a young friend. Um, actually, he's, some, he's, he's part of the Awakened Church family, but he never comes on weekends because he always goes home. But he comes during the midweek to our Bible studies that we have, like at Sonic um, and other things that we do. And um, we were having this conversation, and um, he was talking about his uncle. He said, please pray for my uncle and his family, because my uncle is like, if there was ever like a perfect Christian, I know nobody's perfect, 
But my uncle, like, he loves everybody. He never says, you never hear him say anything negative about anybody. He always is there to help. No matter what anybody needs help with, he goes to help them. He doesn't cuss. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He's like laid all the list that we all make, right? We all have a list of all these things. And he's like, my uncle does, doesn't do any of this stuff, and he does all this stuff. And he's got throat cancer. And how are his kids going to handle that? How are they, how the, how they going to reconcile this fact that their dad, who is like this perfect example of a daddy, He's like, you know, nobody's perfect, but he's the closest that, that I've ever seen. And he's got throat cancer. Why? How are they going to understand this? Why do bad things happen to good people? Does anybody have any thoughts about that? Or is that just one of those questions? Anybody have a thought? Why do bad things happen to good people? Okay, so sometimes there's, there's testing and tribulations that go through life, that no matter what kind of person you are, you're gonna, you face some tests, you face tribulations. That's a good, good point. You learn and you learn lessons, yeah. Yeah, good. What else? Anybody else? There's a world full of flesh and evil. Yeah. Take part in bad things. Yeah, there is a world full of flesh and evil, and um, bad things will happen. You can take, and you take part in some of those, yeah. Okay, if there if there wasn't the bad the, the 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 bad in the world helps me be thankful for the good that's there. Okay, that's that's good. Yeah, good stuff. I think it's important to understand that sometimes stuff just happens. Okay, yeah. It just happens sometimes. It's not like somebody orchestrated it or somebody made it happen. It just happens. Right. Yeah. Stuff just happens, and it's life. Life just life just happens, and um, yeah. So there there's that. I always hear this this phrase. Um, uh, Everything has a reason, right? Everything has a reason. And sometimes the reason is because I did something dumb or you did something dumb. Sometimes that's the reason. It doesn't mean that God made it happen. Everything has a reason, yeah, but it doesn't mean it has to be. And a lot of times, like, like Zach's saying, man, stuff just happens. That's a definitely a part of all of this is a part of this conversation of how do bad things happen to good people. You could also ask, well, why do good things happen to bad people? <laughs> That happens too, right? So the question, what about evil and suffering? It's just not just like an academic question or a philosophical question. I feel like the last couple of weeks when we really were talking about the existence of God and, and how does science, the facts of science, um, fit in with the, our, our faith in God. And, and we found that, well, you can, you can have that. But at the same time, it's felt kind of academic. It's felt kind of philosophical. And this one's more personal, at least I feel like it is, because pain isn't just academic or philosophical. Pain is personal. So as followers of Jesus, we're taught, we're taught to see God as the creator, but not just a creator, right? Not just a force. He's a good, good father. We're taught to see God this way. And so for a lot of folks, many people will struggle right there at the very beginning of this because they don't understand what a good, good father is. They have no, 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 they're like the opposite of my friend's uncle who is a good, good father to his kids. It's like they have no example of a good, good father. So they're like, I don't, I can't. I can't rationalize that God's a good father. Maybe their father hurt them, or maybe their father was just absent. Our world's full of that right now, just absentee fathers that aren't there. And maybe they've, they've gotten hurt and never gotten over the hurt. And so there's this idea of, well, how can God love me if God's supposed to be a father? For some, life has been a series of losses, like there's been a whole series of losses where it just seems like it's one thing after another, after another, after another, and then something else breaks down. Seriously? Seriously? 
And you're like, God! Maybe you've been there. Or maybe you've known people, friends, family members who, who have been there, or been there like right now. Where's God when all this happens? Where's God in this cruel brokenness of life? That's the question. Where's God when all this happens? So often, what I'm finding is our beliefs are based on our personal pain. When we, what we believe about these situations, about life and about where is God when it hurts and why do, why do good things ha- bad things happen to good people, a lot of times our, our beliefs, our belief system began to be based on personal pain. Because when they ask, you know, where is God? Uh, if God is so good, then why is there suffering? And I begin to think, I may not ask it out loud unless I have a good relationship with somebody, but, but I begin to think, why do you ask? What? Where are you suffering? Because you're not being philosophical here. There's something personal usually. There's a pain behind this because it's most likely personal pain behind that question. So the really big question is, where does evil and suffering come from? That's a really big question because every question that we've been asking leads to another question. There's always questions that you open up more questions for us. So where does evil and suffering come from? I was listening to a, a pastor named Kerry Newhoff speak on this, and quite, actually quite a bit of the stuff I'm sharing today I kind of got from him. But this is, this is like a quote. Evil and suffering come from the paradox freedom creates. Evil and suffering comes from, comes from the paradox that freedom creates. So what does that mean? Let's, let's put it like this. God's in complete control, but God's not controlling. Does that make sense? God is in complete control, but He's not controlling. He allows us a spirit of freedom. And he does this because he wants us to have free will, because he wants us to love him. He, but love comes with a choice. You have to have the freedom to choose, because love only works if there's freedom. It does. Imagine, like my little boys, and most of y'all a while ago saw they were tussling and they were fighting and running and they got in trouble and all that. And what happens is when they're like, especially if they were younger, three years old, but you know, six and seven, eight years old, you stop them and you say, okay, stop this right now. You hug your brother, you hug your sister, tell them I love you. Now, if you have a three-year-old, you have brother and sister who are three and four years old, that'll work. You stop right now and you tell them I love you. But you try that with us, right? You stop. Tell that guy that cuts you off in the traffic and you're flipping him the bird and now he's like yelling back at you. Y'all stop. Get out of your car. Tell each other you love each other right now. No. Right? People, they were in a red hat and want to build a wall. And other people are, are very angry and they're, they're like throwing stuff at them. Stop throwing stuff at each other. Come over here right now. You, you tell each other you love each other right now and hug each other. It's not going to work, is it? No. Because <laughs> we have to have a choice. Love is a choice. In the same way you're free to love, you're free to not love. In the same way you're free to love, you're free to hate. You're free to be selfish instead of selfless. You have that freedom. And in the same way you have the capacity for good, you have the capacity for bad. So evil and suffering come from this paradox that freedom causes. We're free to love and get along. We're free to accept everybody right where they are. But freedom means we also don't have to. We're free not to. And this is because God designed us with choice. He wants us to have the ability to choose Him and choose His path. So God doesn't want you to be forced into a relationship with Him. He wants you to love Him. So He wants you to choose Him, which means you have the freedom not to choose Him. That's where evil and suffering comes from, our freedom to choose. And by the way, this is not just a Christian problem. It's a human problem. That's the next kind of 
thing I want to kind of hang out on a minute before we get back to Isaiah. It's, it's not just a Christian problem. It's a human problem. A, a very famous humanist named David Hume, who you may have heard of, he's from the 1700s. He is uh, this, this humanist who's quoted in a lot of textbooks now. And his main, like, everything about his saying Christianity is, is uh, bogus comes from this way of thinking. He says, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's impotent, means not powerful. Is God able to prevent evil, but not willing? Then he's malevolent, evil. And then he says, is God both willing and able? Then why is there evil? There must not be this Christian God. He, so that's what's his, his way of coming around through. There must not be this. This Christianity is false. Must not be, this doesn't exist. But it's not just on Christians. Every worldview has to answer for suffering. Every, every worldview. It's not just a Christian problem. It's a human problem. How do other belief systems account for evil and suffering? So let's talk about this for just a minute. And I'm no expert on these, um, but I do read a lot. <laughs> and I do know people that follow these paths. Um, versus, let's talk about Islam. Islam has this, this, and they have different, actually there's different strands of Islam. But with the main idea of Islam when it comes to suffering is you can overcome suffering by submission to a God who causes it and by detaching yourself from it. By by submitting yourself to a God who causes it. 50 people right now, this is their belief system. And I'm like, how are they actually wrapping their, their minds and their hearts around that belief system? Buddhism teaches that you can, you can transcend suffering through detachment. Like you just, you, just, you just detach yourself from all feeling. It's, a, it's this way of you kill desire. That's one of the ways of Buddhism. Kill desires. You no longer long for anything. You no longer like, have this longing for anything. And if you do this successfully, you experience something that's called nirvana. And when you get to nirvana, well, you're just detached from suffering. You don't feel it. Suffering doesn't, doesn't touch you because you're detached from it. Hinduism teaches suffering is karma. So you can't interfere. It's karma. You can't interfere. You would say, why do good things happen to bad people? If you believe, if you believe in karma, you're not, you're not a good person. I mean, I said, why do bad things happen to good people? It wouldn't. With karma, if bad things happen to you, you're a bad person. That's, that's the understanding. You go to places like India where this is the main uh, religion, and they have this caste system, which is basically these levels of, uh, you know, if you're lower class, you're never have a, you can never advance. They have, they're, they're saying, I don't, I don't speak the language, but it translates as, as it is written, so it shall be. In other words, it's karma puts you here. He made you born to this family, made you born in this neighborhood, and he put you in this area, the slums of India. This is where you live. This is where you exist. It's karma. It's suffering, and you know what? You can't do anything about it, and you're not supposed to. Naturalism, which is where we get evolutionary theory, says there is no God. Traditional evolutionary theory, there's no God. We're, we're just here by random chance. So there's no meaning to life. If there's no, there's no creator, there's no God, then there's no meaning to this. So if there's no meaning to life, there's no purpose in suffering. That would be the, the, the naturalism way of looking at this. There's no purpose in suffering. If it happens to you, you know what? It's about survival of the fittest. If it helps you survive, embrace it. Add to it if it helps you get stronger. That would be the, the, the theory of naturalism. New Age says, uh, New Age thinking is positive thinking defeats negative reality. Positive thinking defeats negative reality. That's the New Age way of thinking. But the breakup didn't go away. The pain is still there. Positive thinking didn't fix poverty. 
positive thinking so far hasn't fixed the clean drinking water situation that many in our world are, are facing. Positive thinking so far hasn't saved anybody from human trafficking, which is a huge problem in our culture. What's interesting is all the subtle ways we pick this up. And you probably already, like, have you not, you can kind of hear some of these things. I'm thanking the universe today for the good vibes. Imagine your pain, it just, just, it just will go away. Ignore it, ignore it, and imagine it's gone. Think happy thoughts. Now, and there's nothing wrong. This is not bad advice. I'm not saying any of these things are wrong to say. I mean, I, I, yeah, I want you to think happy positive you know if you have vibes at all i hope they're good ones you know i'm like these are good things but none of these things actually speak to the real evil and suffering in our world isaiah 53 is all about in jesus god embraces our suffering god embraces our suffering this creator who gave us freedom to do as we will And because we have this freedom, suffering comes out of it. Evil comes out of it. This same God embraces that in us, for us, in Jesus. So Jesus answered suffering by embracing it. I know what it's like to be on the receiving end of evil. Words, actions, private messages. I know what it's like, emails. I know what it's like to suffer through painful breakups. I know what it's like to suffer through being misunderstood and stabbed in the back. I know what it feels like to experience deep wounds due to hypocrisy of others. Yes, even in church. And yes, next week we're going to talk about that deeper, that question. Here's the thing. This is personal. It's been during these seasons of deepest pain that I've experienced the deeper spiritual growth. That's been my reality. That's not something I heard somebody else say. It's not something I picked up here. That's just my experience. It's been during seasons of the deepest pain that I've experienced the most growth as a person, and especially spiritually. When have you grown the most? When life is easy or when there was some suffering, when there was some some pain, when 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 it was a struggle? When have you grown the most? It says in in verse 5 of Isaiah 53, Jesus was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. In Jesus, God embraced our suffering. There's an interesting quote I found. Ravi Zacharias said, It's not coincidental that the very word excruciating literally means out of the cross. We talk about when we experience excruciating pain, that word excruciating literally means out of the cross. So we all ask ask the why questions, right? Why, why, why? We all want a reason for our suffering. And in Christianity, we don't so much have a, a reason for the suffering. What we have is a redemption of our suffering. We have a redemption. Jesus offers redemption of our suffering. Jesus comes and says, I know there's suffering. Would you give it to me? I'll be oppressed for you. I'll be treated harshly on your behalf. And it says here that he never said a word. When you invite Jesus into your suffering, he redeems it into something good. He redeems it into something great. He redeems it in some, some learning experience, some growth experience. After Jesus resurrected and ascended to, to heaven, one of his followers, who actually was against him for a long time, his name was Saul, 
Um, name later changed to Paul, wrote a lot of letters that ended up being what we call the New Testament. One of these followers of Jesus named Paul, this guy, wrote this in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who was especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since, we are, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Jesus answered our suffering by embracing it. This God who, who embraced suffering longs to embrace you. What would happen if you invited God into your suffering. Because suffering, suffering never leaves you neutral. Suffering never leaves neutral. It, it, you either move closer to God or, cl- or further away from God through suffering. And this writer said, through my suffering, I'm drawn closer to God. My own experience, I'm brought closer to God. What would happen if you invited God into your suffering? It's interesting we would kind of be on this topic today, St. Patrick's Day. I don't know how familiar you are with the story of Patrick, Saint, the one now we call St. Patrick, that his name was originally Maywin. And Maywin was a, a, a born in what's called Roman Britain, which is still under the Roman Empire, but it was Britain. It was British. And he was born there. And this is the fourth century. So it's been a minute. And Maywin, when he was 16 years old, he writes in his own autobiography, was kidnapped by pirates that took him to Ireland. So basically what today we call human trafficking, he was taken and trafficked, and he was, had, was forced labor as a shepherd. And for six years in Ireland, he, he was a slave. And he managed to escape. And he escaped and he went back home. When he got back to his homeland, he began to study um, to, to go into the clergy. And when he did, he found this love for Jesus, and he had a vision, and this vision was basically, he, it was, you know, a man told him, but it was God saying, go back. To embrace your suffering, to invite God into your suffering, and go back to the place where you were trafficked to, where you were, where you were forced as child labor or teenage labor. You were forced to, to serve there as a slave. Go back there and spread the gospel. And history shows that thousands of people, that the landscape, the, the spiritual landscape of Ireland changed due to Patrick, when he changed his name to Patrick. Thousands of people came to Christ. Thousands of people were baptized by Patrick in Ireland. Now, before this, Ireland was known as kind of a pagan druid. I mean, you probably know about Celtic stuff because you guys all are into studying and reading. I know that. And so before Patrick... It was, it was deep, and it was what we would call dark. They didn't see a difference between dark and light. Patrick came and showed them the light of Christ. And, a, and you can't call it a revival because they didn't have the, the life first. It was, a, it, was, it was something amazing began to happen. 
All because Patrick invited God into his suffering. And he went back. What would happen if you invited God into your suffering? So our next steps. This week, think about how you handle pain. How you handle suffering in your life and in the lives of your loved ones. And instead of letting it create distance between you and God, ask him, God, I want to come closer to you. Come closer to God, the God who embraced your suffering. Because the God who embraced suffering longs to embrace you. What I want to do is, I'm going to have the guys come up. We're going to sing another song or something and just have a little time of, we always want to end with worship. And um, maybe as we sing, this is an opportunity for all of us just to go, not just sing a song or listen as other people sing, but, but to invite God into our suffering or our pain, whatever that may be. Or maybe there's someone that's a loved one, a friend of ours, a family member, who right now has got something, a disease or, or a situation, a financial burden, something that's just absolutely wrecking them. Maybe on their behalf. You say, God, I want to draw close to you on their behalf in this moment. Lord, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you that um, Lord, if we're understanding not just the words of the Scripture but the reality of the relationship, that we experience with you, that um, you've embraced suffering through Christ. And uh, we still have why questions, and we still wrestle with that, that free will thing and trying to understand. But Lord, maybe we just need to draw close to you, that you would make us stronger, that you would make us more healed, more human, that you would make us more like our true selves. that we'd be filled with you and your healing. So Lord, in this moment, as we sing or listen, maybe we'll stand or sit or kneel or just walk around for a minute and let ourselves draw close to you. We invite you, Lord, into our suffering. We invite you into our grief, into our pain. Because it's only when you come and invade that suffering with your love, but we find it becomes healed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. It's our hope that you have been encouraged by today's message. Find out more about Awaken Church at awakenla.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Awaken Church LA.